Good morning, Autumn Ridge Church. Good morning to you who are here in the auditorium. Good morning to you who are at home. My name is Otis Hall. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be with you on this Palm Sunday morning. And and for you who don't know, Palm Sunday marks the last Sunday of Lent. It is the beginning of Holy Week. It is the day that we celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It's an important day for us. And then the churches that I grew up in, we didn't do things like imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday. We didn't give up things for Lent. But what we did do and know was celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter. And as a kid, that kid, um, Palm Sunday was particularly important to me. Because every Palm Sunday, the church gave us church-sanctioned things of distraction. Every Palm Sunday, we would walk into the sanctuary and they'd hand us a palm frond and it was free reign to mess with my friends and family that were around me, to tickle the back of their necks or act like it was a sword. It was an amazing Sunday morning thing. I I may not have understood. I may not have understood what it meant. It, it, It may not have known what was going on in the service, but... Year after year after year, the expectation that that was going to show up built into my head. It became something that was what Palm Sunday was all about. And those expectations over the years build and build and build. And they begin to weave their way into you much like genetics, right? Things get passed along. And um, this little one who's probably over in children's ministry, I know she looks nothing like me, um, is probably over in children's ministry doing the exact same thing that I was doing. She's over there acting like her palm fronds or a sword or tickling her friends. It is part of the expectation from generation to generation. But again, we, we at this age didn't understand what Hosanna was about. We didn't understand that it meant save us. We didn't realize this moment's power in the kingdom's movement. In those years, the shout of Hosanna was all about the pre-practice for something that was greater. It was all about preparing for the shouts and the praise that were coming on next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. On Easter Sunday morning, these shouts of Hosanna, save us, we're going to move to he has risen and we were going to shout and wear our best clothes and wear our best dresses and sing our best songs. But Palm Sunday... Palm Sunday was something different. And I have to tell you, um, I had a bunch of expectations about today because this is my first time preaching during Holy Week. There were, there were lots of things that went through my mind about what was going to happen today, that, that it was going to feel very much like a, different than any other Sundays in that I can check off. It does. It feels much different than preaching on any other Sundays. I also expected that I would show up on the stage and I would look good this morning. I can check that off too. Thank you, sweetheart. I also, I also expected that I was going to wake up this morning and it was going to be a warm spring day that I was going to get to go outside afterwards and shout Hosanna. Two out of three ain't bad. But really, I've been preparing for this message for months, just thinking about what the meaning of Palm Sunday is, preparing my outlines, trying to hone in the importance of this day for us as people who follow Jesus. And, And then Monday happened. 
And it felt like the Holy Spirit gut checked me. I, I couldn't settle on how to land this plan. I couldn't figure out which version of the three that I prepared for this week was right. Nothing, nothing seemed to click. And I couldn't figure out why. And I, I feel like now as I think back, I began to sort of shrink back into myself. And, and so in this moment, I owe some people an apology. Uh, it's more than an apology. I need to repent, and I need to repent in front of you, not of some moral failure, but, but because people who are on our staff who are more than my friends, they're more than my coworkers, they are my family, Stop what they were doing. They stopped what they were called to do to make this day the day that you all have the best experience possible and, and connect with Jesus on the highest level or whether we were working on how to reach our community. They stopped in those moments to ask me how I was doing. And I have to repent because I told them I was fine. I wasn't fine. I'm not fine. Because there are people in my life that are hurting, and I don't mean like they stub their toes so they're hurting for an hour hurting. People like my wife who suffer from sounds bouncing around in her head and headaches every day. For the last two years, she's been struggling with this moment, and if I'm honest with you, I want Jesus to fix it. Transparently, it's more than a want. It's even more than a prayer. I expected that Jesus was going to have fixed this by now, and it feels like he's just not about that right now. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with that. So, so Monday morning, I was sitting in Rick's office trying to figure out how to land the plane, trying to figure out how to, how to, how to preach this message this week with all of that going on in my head, thinking about her every day. And I realized what the problem was. It wasn't the scripture. It wasn't the way this was going to end. It wasn't even about what I had learned about Palm Sunday. The problem was me. I didn't want to stand here and preach to you the full meaning of Palm Sunday. I wanted Palm Sunday to go back to the day where we could shout Hosanna about Jesus riding into the city. And then we can move on to Easter Sunday morning. What I wanted was for Palm Sunday to go back to being the majestic framework of Easter where, where Jesus was going to rise and he was going to take these feelings away from me but let me keep my expectations of what it was he was going to do. But that's not what happened. I have to be honest with you that, that the deep, real meaning of Palm Sunday broke my heart. Preparing to preach this week was more unexpected than I could ever have expected. Because when I got real honest with myself about what was going on with me, what, 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 what was I wrestling with, it helped me understand what the people on this first Palm Sunday morning or day were wrestling with. You have to understand that Palm Sunday morning marked a moment in the life of the people of Israel where hope, history, and prophecy all collided. It was a moment for them that was filled with great life-changing expectations all bound up in the land and prophecy and being free from being ruled over and all of those years of exile and all of that now. All of that is poured into this one person, Jesus Jesus of Nazareth. But, but before we get to this entry, the celebration, the Hosanna shouting, the people crying out to Jesus, it's important for us to set the scene so that you can have a full understanding of what's happening on this day. 
And so I wanna explain how this all came to be. So Jesus and his disciples, they were coming from Judea, heading to Jericho because it was Passover. And all able-bodied Jewish families would head to Jerusalem for Passover, to go to the temple, to give sacrifices, to worship together. And the Galilean Jews, those Jews that Jesus spent the most time from, that claimed him as their own, would have taken a very special path because they would have tried to avoid all of the Samaritan areas. We know they, they avoided them because they were dangerous. And so they would have taken a special path. They would have crossed over the River Jordan, come down along it through Perea, and crossed back over into this town called Jericho. And Jericho became this rallying point for people before they took the long journey up the road to Jerusalem. And so we find ourselves in this place, in this moment, when Matthew begins to tell us about Jesus' entry. Matthew says this, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside when they heard that Jesus was going by. They shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called to them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and they received their, their sight and followed him. These two blind men shout, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. That, that behavior is not new, right? All throughout Jesus' ministry, people cried out for him to help them. That's not new. The crowd rebuking them and telling them to be quiet so Jesus can get on with what it is that they want him to do is not new. Jesus breaking away from the crowd and healing the people who others didn't see is not new. But in this moment, in this moment when everyone is pushing forward towards destiny, in this moment when people are moving towards Jerusalem, the place that we know, we know that everything is coming to a head, doesn't it seem a little bit unexpected what happens? It begs this question for me. What do we do when the expected king acts in unexpected ways? I mean, we all have expectations, right? There are hopes and desires that we have in our lives and in our relationships. Things like expecting our job to provide security and, and comfort for us. Things like expecting our relationships to fill us with love and affection on various levels. We expect our leaders to serve us well and make our expectations and agendas come true. This crowd expected Jesus to do something too. What they expected was him to ignore these people on the side of the road because they had heard the stories of who he was. Their long-awaited king may may have arrived and they wanted him to move on to Rome. After all, he had to conquer them today. The two men on the side of the road, they expected that the crowd would never let Jesus stop and heal them. They hoped for it. But they never expected that that would happen. This is Robert Creech. He is a pastor and author, professor at Truett Seminary. He's also the pastor who married Anna and I, so has a very special place in my heart. He says this about Jesus. Jesus often found himself stirred emotionally by the overwhelming physical and spiritual needs he encountered in the crowds that followed him. 
At times, however, he had to resist the appeal and choose what the father wanted from him. Isn't that what he did in this moment? The crowd had expectations. They expected him to move to the city. And instead, Jesus was about his father's work. These two men who seemed to have a sixth sense about who this person was, that he was not simply a prophet or miracle worker from Nazareth, that he was something greater than that, cried out to him as son of David. And Jesus in this moment once again shows us what kind of king he is. He's not the one to follow the crowd. He is the one to see people who need him. That title, Son of David, is something that that crowd would have known, though. And so when they heard it cry out and they saw Jesus answer, it would have reminded them of this. When God spoke to David and said, when your days are over and your rest, you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house in my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Can you hear that? Can you hear their expectations? Can you understand why this title was loaded with more than hope? It was loaded with expectations and not just general expectations, but generational expectations. For thousands and thousands of years, they have waited for this person to arrive. But there's a problem. Over those years, this title, Son of David, has become associated with nationalism and military-focused priorities. They had this idea that the king would be a deliverer and a savior, but he would do it in a military way. He would be a warrior. He would be a conqueror. He would run out those people who were against him. They believed that this king that was coming would succeed where others had failed in the past. They imagined this king would restore Israel to its rightful place in the world. And you know what? Even though their expectations of him were off, even though they feel like they were deluded in understanding the power and the grace and the majesty of this moment, Jesus still stepped into history and said, I am the son of David. The time for quiet knowledge of who he is seems to have come to an end. As Jesus moved closer to Jerusalem and his death, his identity as Messiah, the son of David, can now be shouted from the streets. And it all started with the cry of these two blind men. The acknowledgement of Jesus as son of David. The growing crowd of people streaming into the temple for Passover. And that prepares us for where we pick up in Matthew's description of what happened on this day. Matthew says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say, daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
The crowd went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, there are some really strange things that that are happening in this moment, at least things that we would find unexpected. Like, I've read a lot of history about kings riding into town and going to war, right? How many kings do you know rode into the town that they were about to declare war on, on an untrained, unfunctioning donkey? No, kings don't do that. They ride in the town on majestic war horses, things that give them presence and power in the moment and protect them should something come ajar. And it feels like to me, it feels like to me when you read this verse that Matthew knows that that question is going to come up in our head and he breaks into the middle of the story to tell us that this, this, this donkey thing, this thing that's throwing you off, this is because, this is because of what the prophet has said. This is another moment where Jesus is declaring who he is and giving them signs from the past that I am your king. But they wouldn't have stopped there. It's so interesting to me that Matthew didn't even take the time to tell you which prophet it was because he knew they knew this verse. He knew that they knew the saying. He also knew that they would continue in their head to process verses 10 through 12. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bows will be broken. He will proclaim peace in the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return your fortress, your prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Can you hear it? Can you hear their expectations of this warrior king that's going to come in and rid all of Jerusalem of the chariots and get rid of all the war horses and free all of their prisoners and give them back twice what it was that they had before. This is Esau Macaulay. He's a professor at Wheaton and an author, and he says this about Jesus' choice of this prophecy in this moment. Jesus' choice of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, says that his coming means God's plan of bringing blessings to the nations will occur in and through his reign. This reign will be known for peace between Jews and Gentiles and blessings for all. Palm Sunday isn't just about humility. It's also about the expansive kingdom of the Son. Did they miss it? What was happening in this moment? What what was happening is that we have to step back and understand that this was a generational thing. You have to understand that Passover season, there's a messianic excitement that tend to, to run high every Passover because every year they hoped and wished and prayed that this would be the year that the Messiah would show up and Rome would be conquered and things would change for them. I mean, Pilgrims from all over the land were coming. People from diaspora were coming into town. They were ready for this Messiah idea to be ignited. 
After all, this crowd was filled with people who had heard the stories of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They had been there when Jesus had fed 5,000 men and even more women and children with one basket of bread and fish. They had seen him give sight to the blind. This was the moment that their expectations would be met. So when Jesus mounts the cult, the people explode. They throw garments in Jesus' path, symbolizing their submission to him as the king. Others cut palm fronds from the trees and streets and lay them in the road before Jesus. But what we need to understand is that this was not a coincidence, nor was it new. This was the same way they reacted when Jehu was announced to be king in 2 Kings. It was the same thing that they did when Judas Maccabee and his followers recovered Jerusalem and the temple when it was desecrated by Antiochus. We have to know that the acclaim of the crowd came from their own expectations of what they wanted Jesus to be, not the full understanding of who Jesus was. Their identity and security and satisfaction were wrapped into politics and land and freedom from oppression, not the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. In this moment, Jesus was reduced to the instrument by which their expectations would finally be answered. Who in this room can relate to that? Can you relate to the feeling that you've been reduced to the instrument to fulfill others' expectations? Hey, are there parents in the room today? Do you, do you understand that when your kids don't really care how you got where you are? They don't, it doesn't matter to you all the schooling that you have. It doesn't matter the, the way that you were shaped growing up. All that matters is how can you do what it is that I expected you to do today so I can get what I want. That's how Jesus felt in this moment. Because for the crowd, there was only one course ahead. And that course is why they followed him. It's why they shouted. That course was this, that Jesus and his disciples would ride into Jerusalem. They would go to the palace. They would confront Rome. They would take back their culture. They would set right, which was so wrong, things that were so wrong right now. But Jesus did something unexpected. Instead of going to the palace, he went straight to the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you, you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, son of David, they were so excited that they sat down at his feet and they praised him as Lord and they asked him to teach them more about this coming kingdom. No, that's not at all what happened. They were indignant. They were upset. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants, Lord, have called, you've called forth your praise? And he left them. And he went out to the city, to Bethany, where he spent the night. Jesus steps into the temple, the heart of Jewish life, and he turns things upside down. 
instead of passing judgment and attacking Rome, he goes to the temple of his own people. Because though they had expectations, this moment for Jesus was about self-disclosure. He was stepping into their heart and declaring the full measure of what his kingdom was going to be and what kind of king he was going to be in it. Because he never really intended for the temple or the kingdom to become a nationalistic shrine to Israel. He instead expected it to be an inclusive place for all people, Jews and Gentiles, the curious, the skeptical, the hurting, the sick and the lame. And in this moment, he proved it. Instead of doing what the crowd expected, Jesus healed the lame and the blind. And that healing in that moment prompted the children to shout, Son of David, Hosanna. The shouts that they had heard earlier in the day from the crowd. Jesus' pronouncement of judgment on the temple and Jesus' healing of the sick should have brought the religious leaders of the day, those who knew about him, to a place where they were willing to worship him as the Messiah and honor him as the son of David. But instead, they were indignant about it because their motives were deluded. Their actions don't shout Hosanna. They shout, why are you worried about these people? There are things that my king needs to do. Because this isn't about them. It's about us. It's about me. The problem from them was that Jesus arrived in the temple and he points out who the problem is. It's not Rome. It's them. Because worshiping him for the wrong reasons is not any different than rejecting him. Have you ever wondered why it was so easy to go from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him? This is why. This is why we ask this question. What do we do when the unexpected king acts in unexpected ways? Because once they realized that he was the king, but not the king that they wanted, They decided to kill him. And I know that that seems so far-fetched from us today. There's, There's a huge leap from shouting Hosanna to crucify him. But can I get... Can I get real with you? Can I can I ask you a question that I've been working through this past week? How would you fill in this blank? Everybody in this room and everybody at home could put something in this blank that they are waiting for Jesus to. Whether it's something that you're praying for or hoping for or seeing in the people that you know and you love, there's something that that can fill in this blank. What happens if he says no? Does your faith allow him to say no? Do you stand on your faith in that moment or do you move away? Do you shut down? Do you begin to withdraw? Does Jesus have the right to say, this is not what I'm about right now, but I want you to join me in this? The truth is that I see myself in these people because I have expectations of Jesus every day. Every day. 
I wake up or I go home and I see my wife in pain every day. And I have to be okay that Jesus isn't going to fix it right now just because I expect him to. It's a hard place to be. And some of you have the same things. There are people in your life that need Jesus to heal them, to reconcile them with family, to break cycles of addiction, of incarceration, to just break them away from the hurts, habits, and hangups that separate us from each other. But we have to realize this too, that we're also capable of shouting Hosanna without humility. That I was capable of shouting Hosanna and singing praise to Jesus about saving us and not believe that he sees Anna just like he saw the blind man on the side of the road. I'm capable, we're capable of worshiping Jesus without repentance, without being able to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for having expectations of you that don't align with the work that you are doing in the kingdom. But the beauty of this week The beauty of what's going to happen on Friday and into Sunday morning is that Jesus knew all of these things about us and he went to the cross anyway because he loves us. It's what love required. Palm Sunday morning and the days that follow us show us the truth about Jesus. They show us his humility, his heart for all of us, his power over all things. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday are all reminders that we should worship Jesus, the one who gave his life for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of David. More simply put, Jesus died to free us from our sins, not to meet our expectations. So when we come to this day, it it feels like to me that the laying down of the palm leaves should be what we do with our expectations and our agendas for Jesus. We should lay them down because you know what? He knows them anyway. He didn't come here to give us what we wanted or what we expected. He came to give us what we needed. And because of his sacrifice, because he was willing to die for us for days after his resurrection, thousands upon thousands of people gave their life to him and followed him. And those built upon millions upon millions upon millions of people who brought us to this moment where you who've given your life to Jesus were blessed by somebody who gave their life to Jesus before them. We wouldn't be here if Jesus gave in to our expectations. So what do we do when the expected king acts in unexpected ways? I'm not going to answer that question for you today, but I will tell you that there are only two possible answers. You can either give your allegiance to your expectations, and if you do, you'll always end up like the crowd. Or you can give your allegiance to the king. And no matter what happens in your life, no matter what troubles come your way, you will always turn to him.